0: Jeremy, thanks for joining us.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: We're going to talk about genetic privacy, proposed legislation that some view is an assault on the genetic privacy of employees, and GINA, the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act of 2008, and why additional protections may be needed. Let's start with GINA itself. We've come a long way in terms of sequencing since then, but what was the thinking behind the legislation? Why was there a need seen then?
1: Well, I think there were two reasons uh, that uh, underlie why GINA uh, was passed. And it took 12 years to pass GINA, so it was by no means a fast process. But we were already seeing in the 1990s forms of genetic discrimination. Um, it wasn't rampant, um, but it was becoming increasingly common. Uh, and we were seeing it most acutely in the context of course, of health insurance and employment. Um, And so GINA was actually a a very new approach to civil rights law. It was really the first time that Congress had passed a civil rights law that was meant to address a form of discrimination that was currently occurring but had not become so much ingrained in the fabric of society the way other forms of discrimination had before they were addressed. It was a very forward-thinking law in that respect. Um, It was also meant to give people the safety uh, and security of participating uh, in genetic testing, both for themselves and uh, for genetic research, Um, because people were very afraid and still are very afraid of participating uh, in all kinds of forms of genetic research, whether it actually be for their own health or for the betterment of mankind, uh, unless they feel secure that that information is not going to be used against them. And so GINA was meant uh, partially as, a, as that security.
0: What exactly did the law do?
1: Well, it, it covers two specific areas where genetic discrimination might occur, uh, health insurance and employment. And it, and it serves two functions in each of those two subject areas. It both prevents the acquisition of information, or privacy protections, if you will, and then it prevents actual use of that information for discriminatory purposes if it was acquired legally somehow. Um, that was a very, also a very important and relatively new function of a civil rights law, because if you go back to other areas uh, of civil rights um, in Title Seven example, um, there was there's no protection against employers knowing about who you are or, or what or or what about you they might want to use. Um, that's available to them, however they they might like. In but with Gina, uh, it, Gina was very very smart this way because in crafting Gina, uh, Congress knew that things like employment discrimination are very difficult to prove. And they're difficult to prove because there's actually no laws compelling, for example, an employer to tell you why they took an adverse employment action against you, why they fired you, why they uh, refused to give you uh, a promotion, or why they refused to hire you in the first place. Um, so, And, and similarly, in, in the health insurance context, you don't know why they turned you down for health insurance. You don't know why you, really why your premium was going to be higher than somebody else's. Um, so it's really hard to prove that information is being used uh, illegally unless it's become some part of some some sort of regular pattern of practice that you can show over time. So by preventing the acquisition of information, Gina made it very clear that it was going to make sure that, uh, that it could do everything it could uh, to stop that information from falling into the wrong hands in the first place. And that was a really important distinction.
0: There's a lot of areas, though, that Gina did not extend to. Where are some of the the biggest gaps, and have people been discriminated against in other areas of life because of their genetic information?
1: Well, th- genetic information um, is a predictor, and it, to be quite honest, it's not a particularly strong predictor in most cases.
0: Um,
1: but it is a predictor, and oftentimes folks might want to use it to make predictions, even even where they actually misunderstand just how much or rather how little it can tell you about an individual. Um, but certainly, any relationship where predictive information would be valuable, uh, discrimination based on someone's genetics could occur. So certainly, any form of insurance, right, so not just health insurance, which Gina covers, but... Life insurance, long-term care insurance, disability insurance, uh, would certainly be implicated in other areas, um, uh, uh mortgages, for example, uh, where, uh, an employer, um, might want predictive information about making a long-term loan. Um, so there's a lot of different, uh, relationships, contractual relationships where, where predictive information might be valuable. Um, I think Gina, because GINA was uh, so forward-thinking, I, 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 it's my belief that uh, having passed GINA in 2008, it really prevented a lot of genetic discrimination in some of these other areas from becoming uh, something that was regularly used in, 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 as, a, as, a, as a practice. So uh, we're still seeing forms of genetic discrimination in a handful of these areas, um, We've seen mostly because people really misunderstand how the, the value of predictive genetic information, but um, but there's certainly, uh, Gina provides a, a base. It was never meant to address all forms, uh, potential forms of genetic discrimination. We should be moving, uh, as we, genetic information becomes more common, we should be using, uh, moving to expand Gina. But what's happening right now in Congress, uh, is, uh, our efforts to actually
0: limit, GINA. Well, w- let's talk about that. H.R. 1313 is a proposed piece of legislation that's expected to end up in a larger portion of health care reform legislation. This has been unanimously supported in committee from Republicans and unanimously opposed by Democrats. What would 1313 allow employers to do?
1: Well, the it, 1313 addresses the employment provision of GINA. And the employment provision of GINA has a handful of exceptions where employers are allowed to acquire genetic information. Though that list of exceptions is short, it's very specific, and, uh, and it, it, it covers areas, for example, where uh, something might be printed in a newspaper, public information, or where uh, an employee divulges voluntarily that information to an employer by saying something like, Uh, Oh, I I have to take off for the weekend. My mother just came down with breast cancer. It it, it covers these types of areas where an employer should not be felt found culpable for acquiring information. It it sort of happens upon them in in that sense. Uh, One area that it does it covers is wellness programs.
0: Um,
1: Wellness programs are 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 becoming are now becoming somewhat more common. Uh, and they are programs that employers have used. The argument is is that to get their help their employees get healthier and therefore lower their health care costs. The, the The tragedy of this whole of, of this whole line of argument is that uh, wellness programs in study after study have not yet been proven to have any effect whatsoever in lowering employees um, uh, or rather in improving employees' health. Um, be that as it may, Uh, What GINA does is say if an employee voluntarily wants to give uh, an employer uh, information in order to more fully participate in a wellness program, then GINA allows that employee to voluntarily do that. Uh, What this bill that's in Congress right now wants to do is take away the voluntary part. Uh, They want to allow employers to acquire genetic information for wellness programs. As, as a requirement of employment. And in doing so, they are, in my, in my view, really gutting the privacy provisions of, Gina, of the employment provisions of GINA and giving employers uh, a, a huge opportunity to acquire genetic information um, and potentially use it improperly.
0: What is the justification for this? Why would employers need that information in a wellness program?
1: Well, I don't believe they do. Um, as the, the wellness industry um, has, is a is a million dollar industry, they have lobbyists in Congress like everybody else, um, and they they and their supporters in the Chamber of Commerce and other employment groups uh, would love employers to have as much information as they want, um, and they claim that employers need that information in order to properly run wellness programs and help lower healthcare costs again no studies have actually shown these wellness programs are effective and moreover uh certainly there's no evidence that genetic information is of any value in running wellness programs the the uh, most wellness programs um have to do with things like better exercise and and curbing smoking and things of that nature um so uh there's to in my view, this is really a, a handout to, to the industry and to the employment community, but, but the arguments of, of actual value, uh, uh, in my mind at least, uh, are very weak.
0: And where does the bill go from here? Is the expectation is that it's going to get folded into larger healthcare reform legislation?
1: It's quite possible, and then we really lose uh, the, the ability to impact it directly. Um, but uh, we're not sure. Right now, uh, the bill is uh, winding its way through Congress, and we're hoping to – and there's many groups out there um, hoping to raise awareness um, of the implications of what of, of what uh, Congress is trying to actually do uh, with this bill. As I said, we're in the 21st century now. We should be expanding – uh, protections against genetic in- information, not weakening them and and the, the great irony of this bill is that while while uh, members of Congress are really using it as a handout to the wellness industry, which is a million dollar industry, what they're actually hurting or potentially hurting, is uh, our biotechnology industry, which is a billion dollar industry. it's uh, uh, we are the biotechnology industry in the United States is, uh, provides a lot of jobs. It provides, um, a lot of innovation, a lot of patents. Uh, it's a, it's a very valuable part of the U.S. economy.
0: And, and how do you see that That's, hurting the biotech industry? Well,
1: that is enti- the entire engine of biotechnology rests on, um, the, uh, the idea that people will, uh, feel comfortable in using biotechnology for themselves, in participating in, Research and trials to advance biotechnology, and if you're going to start to gut the privacy protections for genetic information, you undercut the the entire pipeline that our biotechnology industry needs in order to continue to grow and thrive. Um, it's uh, you're really cutting off your nose to, to harm your face here, and uh, but unfortunately, that's not how Congress sees it
0: right now. As we've seen the cost of sequencing fall and the proliferation of genetic information grow, is genetic information showing up in unexpected places or being used in unexpected ways? And, and are there things we need to do to strengthen privacy around genetic information?
1: Well, I, I think we are seeing increasingly um, genetic information being used more and more in connection with a whole host of different areas of our lives. Uh, I think, um, uh, you know, you're you're seeing genetics certainly pop up in in areas like, you know, as as far as as ancestry testing um, and other types of consumer areas of which there's almost no protection. Um, The genetic information that you, for example, might give to, uh, you know, 23andMe or Ancestry.com, there's almost no privacy protection for that information how that information is used, um, where that information may end up. Um, there is uh, very little in place to, to give you, uh, you know, the safety and security uh, to, to move forward. Now, people are using these services, um, but uh, I think you're going to start to see more and more genetic information become part of your daily life um, as you go to the doctor's office um, uh, and, and otherwise and uh, we still don't have particularly good privacy protection for biobanks um, and for a whole host of other areas where, where genetics and genetic information is implicated. We should be focusing on those areas. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, the attention of Congress is in the opposite direction.
0: We're in a strange time for privacy. People freely share all kinds of personal information through social media these days. I suspect people have become somewhat desensitized to matters of privacy. Should they be concerned about who has access to their genetic information?
1: I think so. And I think, you know, uh, I think uh, I'm not, I don't completely disagree with your characterization, but I I would say that um, while people, I think, are much more freer with their information today, um, that freedom is one that they want the opportunity to exercise themselves. They want the right to decide, I think most Americans want the right to decide what can and can't be made public and what can and can't be shared um, with anybody. Uh, And they want to be the arbiter of that. There are too many areas uh, where genetic information is not protected, where people don't even know um, that it's unprotected and certainly are not the decision makers in how that information is acquired or used. More and more people uh, want to be in control of their genetic information, um, and uh, and I hope uh, that the discussions and debates and attention that this uh, that have been raised around this legislation actually spurs movement in the other direction.
0: At the same time, we're at this point scientifically where we've got the combination of electronic health records and low-cost sequencing that together have the potential to generate great insights into health and wellness. Are there ways to erect protections at, while still getting the most benefit from the information we're generating?
1: Yes. And I, and I think the the primary principle, as I mentioned before, has to be uh, knowing and voluntary participation. Um, I think most people want to participate um, in Uh, in the revolution of of genetics and biotechnology, uh, I think they want to have controls in place to make sure the information that, uh, that goes out from them and their body is, uh, is used in ways that they direct and in ways that benefit them and benefit society, but do not benefit, you know, private entities for, for their own pockets. Um, and, uh, so I, I think absolutely, uh, uh, privacy is, is not should, should not be a permanent barrier, and I don't think it has to be a permanent barrier to progress. Um, I think, though, that it has to flow first and foremost from what the public wants, and it has to be responsive uh, to uh, respecting the public's desires to actually have control and be the deciders of how their information is used.
0: Jeremy Gruber, past president of the Council for Responsible Genetics and credited with helping enact GINA. Jeremy, thanks so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. The landmark legislation known as the Genetic Information Non Discrimination Act of 2008, or GINA, anticipated growing concerns about genetic privacy, although it left much work undone. Now, though, as genetic information proliferates, proposed legislation would weaken protections by allowing employers to compel employees to share their genetic information in workplace wellness programs. Though voluntary, those who choose not to share this information could face thousands of dollars more for health insurance, according to reports. We spoke to Jeremy Gruber, past president of the Council for Responsible Genetics and someone credited with helping enact GINA, about the proposed legislation. What more needs to be done to protect genetic information, and how to best balance privacy concerns with the opportunities to leverage genetic data to better understand health and wellness? Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group.